Welcome to another episode of Imposters Anonymous. As usual, if you're new to the podcast, I strongly encourage you to pause and take a moment to listen to the intro to the show. It's technically the first episode and is about seven minutes long, provides some pretty important context about the nature of this project and how it differs from most. Otherwise, if you'd like to skip the housekeeping altogether and just jump forward about a minute and a half and listen for the music, no hard feelings. There's not too much to report beyond that the project is continuing to grow its online presence. So if you're enjoying the show, for better or worse, we are now on Instagram and Twitter. So you can follow us there for some additional content or to reach out directly. But still, the best way to support the show is through subscribing to our Substack, which is a newsletter that offers supplemental content and in time will offer more interactivity for the AI community. That can be found at impostorsanonymous.substack.com. As I'm sure you know, any support is quite meaningful and helps grow the project. So I'm always trying to improve and expand things here. So reviews on Apple Podcasts certainly can help make that possible. But that's all for now, and I hope you enjoy. You don't know how lucky you are being a monkey. Welcome to Imposters Anonymous. Marie, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. I've kind of known since since I started this whole thing that, that you were someone I'm wanting to have on in, in some capacity, so <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to finally be doing it. It's very flattering. You think I have something to say, <laughs> <laughs> which is, I suppose, the point yeah. of the whole thing. Sure. I mean, I think uh, I think you have a unique perspective, and I think you have a lot to offer. And to be fair, I feel that about everyone to some extent, right? Yeah. And I think that's what I'm on some level trying to explore here is is what really can be found in any given conversation if you put certain things aside and just leave it open. But I guess that's why we're here. So <laughs> I know I feel like people don't actually converse for more than three and a half minutes at a time. Oh well, that's a anymore. pretty precise <laughs> <laughs> number. Is that is that something that you time out or? I uh, know, just guesstimate. Mm, but. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. No. I mean, I definitely agree. It's. It's tough, I think, especially this past year, right? I mean, it, sure, you, you still have phone calls and Zooms and, and things of that nature. And sure, some some level of interaction, it's it's getting easier to do that sort of thing. But I feel like it was already hard enough to, to have kind of deep and, and long-form conversations with people. And now there's just like such an excuse not to. Like at any time, you could just be <laughs> like, you have every reason to be like, no, I'm just going to stay in my house and... And kind of stay in my bubble, stick to my ideas, run with that. Uh, Only my like very inner circle. Do I like sit down on a porch or go on a walk and have more than a five minute conversation mm-hmm. at a time? Right. And like actually like pull layers of the conversation apart and have it take us elsewhere. Like mm-hmm. that's just not it's modern rare. conversation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hopefully something that is, uh, I guess, just becoming more normalized again through longer form media like podcasts, I guess to pat ourselves on the back here, that that it does give people (laughs) 
at least just the opportunity as far as a, a time constraint or there not being a time constraint that you can actually explore things. You can, you can get things wrong. You could, you could walk back from things. You could change people's minds. You could actually learn something where I feel like a lot of other media for various reasons is very constrained. It's like you, you have your three and a half minutes. If you're lucky, you know, you maybe have your 30 seconds or your 180 characters. Right. To, uh, <laughs> to get your point across. And if you, if you can't in that, then good luck. So, uh, taglines and photos. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's how we communicate these days. And so I think there's a lot of value in just having more conversations like this, even if it's not on the record, just, just getting, I feel like when I started doing this, it was something I, I didn't even realize I had to some degree, not even lost my capacity for, but it just like felt a little unnatural because I started it, I guess the end of last year and hadn't been having a ton of conversations with people besides <laughs> my wife really. So it was just like, Oh, like this is what this feels like again. This is what, this is what this is. And it's something I used to thrive on for, for a long time. Cause I was always someone who really enjoyed that. And I just didn't even realize how much I missed it. But ultimately thanks for being here. Thanks for doing this. And, <laughs> and, uh, We'll see where it goes. But yeah, I'm just curious kind of how how you've been this past year. I know it's it's kind of been a hectic demanding one for you. Uh, but just from like a mental, physical perspective, how, how are you hanging in there? Um, better now. Mm -hmm. Like things have lightened up a little bit. Um, but for those of you that don't know me, I'm a nurse and I, you know, used to work on an oncology floor mm -hmm. with cancer patients. And so the whole hospital felt a big upheaval with COVID and right. everything. And we, there were staffing at times we had too much staff at times we didn't have enough. We went mm. places we didn't normally go it, right. and it, the whole hospital, everything was changing every day. And mm. now I work in a, um, COVID critical care unit and right. it's been pretty insane. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. I mean, I, I could only imagine, honestly, I, it's something I've on a lot of levels been really curious about, uh, just because I, I, like I said, I really can't imagine what, what that's been like. And I guess it's not like, it's not like it was Italy, right. And in, in that, that most critical stage, but a lot of hospitals, I'm sure you can speak to, just got to a point where it really got crazy there <laughs> for a minute. Um, but I guess just to to reframe my question again, like, is that how has that been for you personally? I mean, I know professionally or whatever, it's it's had its challenges and and difficulties. But is that something that that you've seen effects and you know, just like your your personal well being? I mean, it, it has to, right? Yeah. No, I've. Um found new lows and new kinds of lows <laughs> right. and I've done a lot of um soul searching and figuring out like why do I even do what I do and like what is my purpose and and just a lot of time being very mentally unwell mm -hmm. and yeah. and kind of bur burrowing in and mm -hmm. um being I spent I've spent a lot of time alone which I know everybody has but right. um that was very good and healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, did you, obviously hindsight is, is 2020 as they say, right. And, and <laughs> right now it, it very much feels like we're on the other side of things, uh, at least 
maybe maybe I'm, I'm being uh, presumptuous. You just <laughs> I appreciate the optimism. <laughs> maybe I, that's an optimism I am uh, awarded because I'm not in it. But at least public perception seems to to be that we're we're trending in the right direction. Let's just say that. Um, but looking back, was there ever a time where you were like, is this ever like, is this just the new normal? Is this never going to break? Is this, um, was there ever a point where you just kind of were like, maybe this isn't for me? Um, definitely. And mm. I've had some conversations this year where it was like, there were times where I just made the best decision I could with my work schedule and balancing work and life. But are you... You know, I've had to ask myself a lot, Are you, am I working to live or am I living to work? And there were a lot of times during this year that I was living to work. Mm -hmm. And that was my life in its almost in its entirely mm -hmm. entirety. And every everything else kind of had to get pushed to the side. And my relationship struggled. My family life struggled. Mm. My eating, my sleeping, my, sure. you know, exercise. Like everything else kind of went. Right. wayward because it was this critical period but it was such a unique challenging time because it was such a critical period for such a long time mm -hmm. and I feel like we got in this like tired of being in this stressful state mm -hmm. and they kept saying you know this is gonna peak this is gonna peak this right. is gonna peak and everybody's experienced that and mm -hmm. um and it just kept getting worse. Right. And we kept, you know, and, mm. and the deadline kept getting pushed back. So I feel like with the vaccine out, um, we're finally, are, we are moving in the right direction. Mm. But there's, there's still a lot of people dying. And I just wish more, more of the public could. They've had some like, news specials and stuff about people sure. seeing what's going on. Like mm. the real effects of COVID. Um, and it's not, you know, everybody wants to think it's not them. And it's not them or their loved ones mm. until it is. Right. And then they're like, shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that this is horrible. Everything. And it's, you know, and I just wish people could see that this really is something different. And I was very skeptical at first, mm. too. You know, I was like, sure. people, the news loves to blow up things. Like, mm. breaking news since 9-11 has been daily. Right. You know, and I'm like, oh, there's a car accident. Breaking news. You right. know, and... I just assumed that this was also getting blown out of proportion. Mm. And I was like, there are lots of virus variants, you know? Sure. And, and I know a lot of people thought like that. Mm. And then reality showed itself as yeah. it usually does. And um, I just wish people had a clearer vision of what was actually happening and what these, what these patients, what these families, and what these healthcare workers were really experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, because I think it would have had a very different public opinion. Right. But maybe people just don't really empathize or mm -hmm. care about other people as much. <laughs> so yeah. maybe it wouldn't have changed anything, you know? I don't know. I mean, that's, it's a fair point. And I think it's something that some people were trying to express early on in New York, uh, at least from what I was exposed to, that there was this kind of trend of, okay, there's, there's a blow up in one place hospitals are having issues people are speaking out they're saying like hey this is bad um we you need to be prepared and then everyone's kind of like ah but that won't be where i am so it's fine and each time it would just kind of move and, and move and move and into more and more places that 
everyone thought it was not going to be an issue. And sure, some places did get lucky. Like it's not like everyone had the same difficulty with it. It's just as far as localities, but it's, as you spoke to, it's just one of those things I, I actually was talking about a bit in, in my last recording that people, they really don't tend to, they don't spend much time in, in touch with the reality of, of others. Uh, and until it, it kind of breaches your bubble of, of security and, and control, do you really care about it? So it's, it didn't, it didn't seem real to a lot of people that COVID was even a concern until it was like, okay, I know someone who had it, right? And for most people, that was like when they were like, oh shit, okay, this is a real thing. But when no one you know has it, no one you know has died from it, it's very easy to to kind of live in a bubble and be like, I mean, I, I hear all these things going on, but what's being blown out of proportion? What's what's really going on? And so people, as we generally do, because of what you said, the the breaking news cycles, the there's constantly something going on in the world, right? There's always a civil war somewhere. People are always suffering and dying. And so we we kind of tune it out to some extent until it hits home. And if more people had to deal with it indirectly as, as you have, it's it's impossible to to not have some empathy there, not to take it seriously. But for the average person who's who's been lucky enough to just not really be super affected by it uh, beyond the restrictions or, or whatever they've, however they've had to change their lives or they've been inconvenienced, it's 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 definitely easy to slip into a perspective that just doesn't it isn't really in touch with with the reality of the situation. And it's a defense mechanism. I mean, people want to believe that they're safe and that these horrible things can't touch them. Mm. And that's totally fair, but it's not very helpful Mm. and it doesn't help other people. Right. And we're humans. Like we Mm. we're social creatures. We should be more concerned with other people and connect and. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the idea at least, but (laughs) uh, yeah, I mean, I guess in theory we are only programmed to, to, keep tabs on maybe 150, 200 people max. So I think anytime anything like goes beyond that or like our tribe of people that we know, it's just, we're not really wired to to have that connection to people that are across the world or even across the state. It's it's just a, a challenge that I think we're, of course, progressively overcoming. Like we're better at this than ever and that's a great thing, but we're still very far away from being able to view someone across the world as you know just as valuable to you as a friend you know that's just not something where it is even reasonable to expect of people but i think once you can put it into terms of like okay but if you don't think this way on some level it will get to you eventually right it's it's not you can't perfectly insulate yourself from these sorts of things especially things of this nature but i did want to jump back to maybe kind of an obvious question that I glanced over, which is, did you, was it your choice to, to be on this unit? Yeah. Okay. I, I was ready for a career change and it was, mm. it was just time and I wanted to go to critical care and I, part of it was that I really liked that floor for many mm. reasons, but part of it was that I felt like I wasn't doing what I what I could to help this horrific situation to the mm. to the maximum capacity of my abilities. Mm. And like I know I knew I could 
handle it. I didn't handle it as well as I thought I could, mm. but I knew I could do more. Right. And it just, it felt wrong not being more helpful when I had that capacity. Mm. And yeah. I had moments where I wanted to go to New York when that was a crisis, but then I was letting my old unit down, mm. you know, cause nursing shortages and staff issues were problems throughout the whole country right. and still are. Mm. Um, but this felt like a way that I could retain my life in a way that protected me some and mm. also had the highest impact on this right. given situation and a personal growth and career growth opportunity for me. Mm. So it wasn't totally, I'm not a selfless goddess or whatever. <laughs> but, um, sure. I mean, I think you, you have to give yourself some credit there. Um, I think it's an, an interesting perspective and one that that on some levels is is honestly difficult to to understand for some, right? I mean, I obviously we we know each other, we, we have a relationship, and there's I don't know, I don't think it makes it weird, but thank you, you know, I I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how it's something I'm very curious about, and that's part of the reason that I wanted to do this. Like I, I'm fascinated with people's capacity to step up in situations like that. And it, it seems like there's a million reasons to not do that sort of thing. But time and time again, we, we do see people, obviously there's people who do these things. I think you could probably say that about people in your line of work just in general, right? I mean, you, nobody has to become a nurse. It's, it's, it's a bit of a somewhat thankless and, and selfless job. I mean, sure. I'm not trying to paint a picture that everyone who does it is a saint or anything, but it's it's a it's a choice to do something that is very difficult and and uncomfortable in a lot of ways. In short, certain people are just more more capable on that front. They maybe they have thicker skin, or they're more caring, or they they just want to help people in a very tangible way, right? But still, it just you didn't have to do that, <laughs> and no one who stepped up in the situation necessarily did. Um, or I mean, I guess some people maybe had to, but my point being, just thank you for all and for all the people who who made that similar decision. Um, I don't fully understand it, honestly, but I, <laughs> it's so important that there are people like that who who sacrifice of themselves and who who make these decisions to to just kind of step in front of the bullet for people and and to knowing. I guess as you spoke to, which is maybe the part of it that I can empathize with the most, that you you knew you could help. You, you knew you had the capacity and you feel like because of that, you have an obligation to do so. But I don't think that's how a lot of people necessarily live their lives. And I'm not over here trying to like virtue signal for you, but it's it's something that people shy away from a lot in life. And there's a lot of ways to do that. But you obviously did it in a time that really mattered. So thank you. It also um, is a matter of my position right now and where I am in life. Like, I don't have children. I don't mm – -hmm. I have a fiancé, but I'm not married. It's not that I have certain family members being very dependent on me. Mm -hmm. um, I was able – like, I didn't have other things that were so important that I couldn't put them aside. Mm -hmm. And for people who do, like, being a present parent during this time, like, so important. Mm -hmm. You know, you're there locked in a house with your kids for 24-7. Like, you know, I think they're a saint too, you know? But, um, <laughs> sure. 
but yeah, no, it's very strangely uncomfortable to be told thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I appreciate oh, I it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I always appreciate gratitude, um, especially, you know, from my patients or their families. But it's been very weird during this pandemic that the whole world has turned and been like, thank you, healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. And we're like, we have been doing this type of work, <laughs> sure. helping people in their times of health crisis and and help them heal and mm-hmm. wipe in their ass and give them <laughs> meds, like, you know, right. and all the fun stuff that comes with nursing and mm. for forever. Right. And it's just been very funny. It's like, <laughs> it's very appropriate, I think, but it's also like, we're so used to being mm-hmm. um, invisible that it's very uncomfortable for a lot of us. And a lot of people, whatever helps anyone get mm. through, you know, a lot of different personalities in every profession. But I very much like to fly under the radar sure. and be invisible. And I'm just a workhorse. And that's, I was born a workhorse and I'm going to die a workhorse. <laughs> and I'm going to have joint problems for the next 80 years. But they, but people like, a lot of people have loved this like frontline hero thing, you know, mm. and they've really like dug their nails into it and have found meaning in right. this publicity and acknowledgement. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of people who are like super uncomfortable with that mm-hmm. because nobody goes into nursing for the glory. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little out of our uh, comfort zone. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just what you do, I guess. So it's been very interesting. And, you know, we're just, I don't know, cogs in a machine as everyone else is a cog in their own machine. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that being said, nursing can be the shittiest job in the world. Mm. And I mean, it's like 13 hours. You do some night shifts, which I mean, (laughs) nobody is made for that. And, you know, you are on your feet for 13 hours at a time. You're, you always have too many things to do. Mm. You know, you have political and and structural and and just all sorts of pressures pressing down on your everyday job Mm -hmm. and you have all of these different skills to master always keeping up with education but it's also the best job in the world and it kills me that so many nurses this year have stepped away from the bedside and so many nurses especially new nurses hate their jobs Mm. and it it really kills me because it's it's, I tell everyone it's like the best job in the world. Like I can't imagine doing anything else. And I fell into nursing a little bit on accident. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just a convenient option. Right. I was like, I'm not going to get some bullshit degree. Sorry. I'm so much. Um, <laughs> no, you're, and <laughs> I don't know if you've listened to the show, but it's, it's, all, it's all fair game. And not have a job when I come out and not have health insurance. Like I, I was very practical minded when I went to college. Um, mostly cause I didn't want to go. Um, <laughs> And it turned out that I picked the profession that I was made for and it's a perfect fit and I I love it to death and I think it's the best job in the world. But so many people are having such a bad experience in nursing and I'm like, this is not going to be nursing forever. And it is an amazing job. Mm-hmm. And I guess I can elaborate on that rather than just saying it's the best job in the world for <laughs> eighth time. But I, uh, like, it's mean, like I never leave a day where I'm like, what did I really do today? Like mm. every day it, you did something meaningful right? and you helped someone else. And that's, and like, there's, there's this great like ripple of hope quote by like Robert F. Kennedy, which totally carried me 
from the depths of the worst times of the pandemic mm. up. And okay. it basically talks about how with when you when you lift up someone else or you reach out to help someone else mm. in any place or any time, you're sending out a ripple of hope into the universe. And from that, you you know, it's like a thousand ripples of hope crossing paths mm -hmm. and these energies of, of hope and helping and, and kindness. And right. with enough ripples of hope, you can like break down any wall of oppression. I don't know. He said it better, but, sure. um, <laughs> he also had paper idea. in front of him. Um, <laughs> but it's just like, I'm able to do that every day for my job and mm -hmm. get paid for it. Like it's amazing. Right. And the, like, I'm not very religious, but the miracles I see every day and the stuff we can do now to like help mm -hmm. people over these critical points and give them five years of life or 40 years more is unbelievable. Like yeah. some of the stuff I couldn't even think of. Mm -hmm. I was like, what does that machine do? <laughs> That's crazy, you know? Yeah. And it's just, it's just a beautiful profession and you get to like tend to their spiritual side if you choose to. Um, <laughs> but you get to tend to their spiritual side. You get to help them tangibly and physically and you get to watch people heal or you help them die peacefully which is so important because mm. as americans we're really bad at death oh yeah and so many places and so many people have talked about that and apparently no one's listening mm -hmm. um but like death is not what we should be afraid of it's dying and dying badly because that can be hideous mm -hmm. And awful. Yeah. And so often by the time people are ready to let their family members go or or they're ready, we finally, someone finally crosses that bridge mm -hmm. and passes away. I am just grateful. I am just like, I am yeah. so glad because that's the best thing for them. Mm -hmm. You know? And, and I just, I know that. I don't have to wonder if, we, you know, we mm -hmm. did something different or if, you know, it's just like so clearly like this was inevitable and another month of suffering was not going to change anything. Mm -hmm. And they're not even a person, you know? Right. But. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, you've said so many interesting things there. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of threads to pick up, but I think it's, I guess before I forget, I'm glad you acknowledged that it is the worst job in the world. <laughs> at times because i feel like that's something that maybe gets I, I get curious about where i'm like is there is there any awareness that like some of this stuff just fucking sucks right <laughs> i mean like no i was born to wipe <laughs> i love poop right um <laughs> but at the same time you you went on this very you know beautiful <laughs> explanation as to why it why it is worth it to you and i i, I hope there's someone listening out there that, that wants to become a nurse now but I, I think there's definitely something to be said about one of the main points you made, which is that on a day-to-day -day basis, there's it's tangible, right? You can you can step away from your day of work every single day and be 100% confident that you did something meaningful, that you contributed to the world in, in some sort of a positive way. And I think that is incredibly lacking in most people's lives. And that's hard to to go through life living in a way where you don't feel that. We we need that as, as a species. And I think that's why we have this like great 
proclivity for religion, right? Because it, it gives us that. Uh, lots of things can, but I think that's why we're we're prone to ideology and all sorts of things because it, it gives us that sense. But when you do something like what you do, and it's it's every single day, it's it's in your face. There's there's no way around it that you can see what's happening, and, and even people that do still noble but more abstract jobs that that are contributing to the world, it's still you can do so much good for the world from you know behind a computer screen. But it doesn't. It doesn't feel that you know. It, yeah. It, it's hard to to see the translation there and to to actually derive the the emotional benefit that that you would be getting if you were kind of you know boots on the ground, if you will, in, in a situation like the one that you're in. Um, so I definitely think that's interesting. It's something I haven't really experienced much of in my life, unfortunately. I I, I to some extent wish there was more of that for me personally. And I definitely try to make an effort on on various fronts, but not ones that, as I said, are, are as tangible, that are, that are as direct. And then I, I feel like the the reward there, which I think is a, a totally fine one to to selfishly want to like we want those things to feel good. We we want it to we want our incentive structures in society to be so that people want to become nurses, people want to become teachers, people want to do these relatively, I guess, classically selfless jobs, we want that to actually feel good. We want them to make enough money so that it's not like a, they're not having to be a saint. They're not, <laughs> they're not having <laughs> to, to do these things um, and just say, I'm totally going to give up myself and there's going to be no benefit. But um, yeah, I guess the, the final thread to pick up there was an interesting one about, about death. And I know recently Spain became one of the first maybe five countries in, in Europe to to legalize euthanasia. Um, obviously not really a thing in a, I guess, maybe legal sense here yet in the U.S., but I'm curious how you how you feel about that as a prospect here and, and what it really means for a, a patient or an individual to, to kind of die with some dignity and, and grace. I totally believe in that being a choice. Mm -hmm. And I agree that there should be ethical committees involved and several people looking at the situation and saying, is this an irreversible, a like, absolutely, we can have no meaningful outcome mm -hmm. in the end. And, you know, our time is precious, but it's not we're all going to die. Oh yeah. <laughs> and if you know you are going to go down this really hard path that mm -hmm. for a lot of people is financially, mentally, physically exhausting for your loved ones and mm -hmm. and you lose your sense of self. Right. You know, what are you getting from that time and what are your loved ones getting from that time? Mm -hmm. And maximizing on your good time and then when it's inevitable that you are going to lose yourself allowing people to die with dignity and a sense of self is can be very peaceful and give people a lot of relief because everybody people who have that outlook or have that future ahead of them mm -hmm. i mean it's horrible to fear that time when you are not going to be yourself mm -hmm. and you oh yeah and you are going to be a burden and you are going to 
And of course, your loved ones are happy to be there to support you, but it's just it, there could be a better way. Mm-hmm. And it and it's a choice. It's not like oh, you are terminally ill. We're gonna knock you out. You know, like right. it's a choice if they want that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's. I, I personally feel like it's it's to some degree unethical to to not give someone that that opportunity to to force someone to to stay alive when they've they don't feel like themselves anymore they they can hardly remember communicate be that person for their family they i think there's a lot of i guess i'll just say i'll reiterate i think it's in a lot of ways unethical and i think sometimes it's interesting to look about how we treat our pets versus how we treat ourselves yeah and great point it's there's, it, it maps in lots of ways, but in this way specifically, like uh, of you, you almost always put an animal down when it is sick or old or, or you know, we, the quality Terminally of life. Ill and suffering. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not a question. And sure, there's, there's uh, a school of thought out there that we're, we're not the same, right? And I'm not saying that I think humans are not in some ways different from other species, but in most fucking ways we're not, right? We, we are just animals as well. And in life, we generally, we look at our pets and we, I mean, we, we glorify them. They're the, they're the best things to us. And I think that's wonderful. I love my pets very much. And so it's obvious when they get to that point that we're like, no, we don't, we don't want them to suffer. We don't want to lose the image of them that we had when they were healthy. We don't want them to just kind of have be forced to, to live out this way for a time just for the sake of being alive. Because what, what is that really at the end of the day? And I know we've, We've talked, we've had some conversations just about longevity and, and health in general. And I think that's something that sometimes gets very missed in or just overlooked in, in traditional medicine is that, sure, we're starting to look more at lifespan, but not the conversation is rarely about health span, right? And we, we're very good at keeping people alive. We're, we're getting incredibly good at that. Yeah, as I'm sure you can attest to, it's, it's amazing, but at the same time, it's, okay, would you rather live until you're 70 and be as capable as you are right now up until you're 70 or live to your 90, but for your last 30 years, you couldn't do the things that you loved, you could barely move around, you couldn't remember your family members. Obviously, that's an extreme example, but at a certain point we want we want those things to be closely correlated like we want people to live their best lives we want people to be able to be active and capable and thriving and then you die because that's kind of the natural way and and it's not to say that there's not more to do once you have lost some of your <laughs> vigor that you had when you were young but in the natural world that's kind of how it happened like you you kind of burned out <laughs> and i'm not saying that that's <laughs> i get that's getting maybe into some controversial space but that is how it generally happens in, in the natural world that an animal, they don't live as long, but they, they live a good, strong, capable life. And then it's like, okay, I'm done. But now because we have this capacity to keep people alive longer and longer, which I think has a lot of benefits, obviously, but we've become less concerned with how healthy they are through those last 20 years or 10 years of life, particularly that we end up having people who are kind of just waiting to die. Like they're not even really living super fulfilling lives or enjoying it anymore. And it's just like, 
it just feels like we're really missing something there. Um, and I, it's not like I have a, a solution to offer per se, but I just think it's something that that we ought to focus a little bit more on. Yeah, I'm a very firm believer in um, quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. And what you do with your time matters than how much time you have. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, of course, it's easier said than done. And, yeah. and we all like to feel like we're like living our best lives or we're, we're taking advantage of the moment. But in a lot of ways, we we miss the mark on that. And that's just life. But uh, I think sometimes we do get so fixated on the length of life. And I mean, I'm sure there's some people that are like, ah, whatever, I'll, I'll die when I die. And I think it's important for people to have some sort of a relationship with death, which I guess you have to have a, a pretty unique one, right? I mean, you you deal with it all the time. And that's that's not normal. That's not something that most <laughs> people are in touch with. And sure, some people get unlucky. They have close family members. They have people around them pass away for various reasons. But for people in, in your line of work or similar ones, it's, it's a day-to-day thing. It happens. Um, and you have to orient yourself in some way. You have to have some sort of relationship with it, some sort of coping mechanism that the average person just doesn't. Um, and I, I'm, I guess I'm just kind of curious what that looks like for you. I mean, I know that you're in no sort of a negative way, but you're an emotional person. And I, I feel like I'm someone who you would maybe describe as being like kind of even killed, even temperament, not too upset by most things, but I don't, I don't think I could do it. I don't, I don't think I could, <laughs> could deal with it, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm doubting myself, but. Yeah, I guess I'm just curious how how you do cope with the the pain and the death and the suffering and and just being okay with that. To have it on record, I think you would be a great nurse. Well, um, but it is not. <laughs> Thank you. Everybody's you know way to have an effect on the world. Um, sure. But you would do great. <laughs> um, yeah, I you know when I first started nursing, I one of my friends said you poke me and feelings fall out. I'm. <laughs> hilariously emotional it's a little bit inconvenient most of the time um Mm. and when I first started nursing I I just like fully loved and became attached to every patient and you don't Mm. even have time to even think about that but I did and I I just loved them all so much and I very quickly learned that that was not gonna work Mm -hmm. to be able to do what I needed to to and for these people and also to be able to do this for any amount of time. Um, And so then I slowly kind of learned to put, to still be present and still be compassionate and give the patients time and space to open up and express what they're going through Mm -hmm. and, and share with them and share bits of my personal life so that I'm human too. Cause they're so vulnerable when they're in the hospital and in this, critical moment they're in like a lot of times the hardest moment of their life and them Mm -hmm. and their families and and i'm over here just happy go lucky you know (laughs) what i mean it helps to be human and show your cracks too sometimes Mm -hmm. um all the time um but i had to learn to i was a i finally learned to be able to do that Mm -hmm. and also keep some emotional space 
you know, be very present and emotionally present, but, but there was actually a barrier there. Mm -hmm. And every now and then a really special patient now slips in Mm -hmm. and they just like take my whole heart and that's okay. But that's not every patient I, I work with. Mm -hmm. And that's really important because otherwise I would have quit nursing, you know, a month in. Right. Because I was just, you know, going home and crying all the time. And I, you know, and I started nursing young, even with, I felt like a decent amount of life experience and experiences. Mm-hmm. I, I was often told I was old for my age, which is such a cliche, but what can you do? Um, um, but I've always been very emotionally in tune with people mm-hmm. and able to read people well. And which was so valuable as a nurse, but it also... Right. I thought I was prepared for nursing and I wasn't. You can't mm. be. You. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I've learned to put up emotional barriers and I've learned a new level of that now that I'm in critical care where so many patients, the goal is not recovery or extended time. The goal is getting them well mm-hmm. as well as you can and then seeing where we're at. Right. And a lot of times it's helping them pass mm-hmm. peacefully. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, there there has to be some some level of detachment and that i don't know sometimes that's doesn't sound like a positive word right but that on some level it seems only natural that you'd have to to take a step back and and if you as you spoke to if you were in on every single patient on a super emotional level it would just it would make the day to day just too much but i'm curious i guess outside of the actual moment outside of the workplace is I mean, do you find that you have to be more rigid or, or diligent in, in I guess we'll say your self care outside of work to to balance it out, or is it like do you find it easier to to take care of yourself now that you're always taking care of people, or does that sometimes actually make it harder? It's harder because it's oftentimes easier to just go to work and focus on. The problem's there. It's so consuming. Mm-hmm. It's important. It's meaningful. And so it becomes this excuse not to do self-care and not to mm. process what's going on in my life and right. not to work on my self-growth. And and then I have these moments where I like take a three-minute shower so I can get to the <laughs> next thing. And right. I'm like, I take time to clean in between my patient's toes. and I'm not even giving myself a good scrub down like and I just have these little moments where I'm like I make sure that that patient goes on a walk that day Mm -hmm. if they can and I'm not doing that for me and it's just it's a little eye-opening sometimes it's like oh Mm -hmm. um I've gotten better at it over the years but I've also it's a constant struggle but I think a lot of people who go into nursing are natural caretakers and it's the best thing and it's also the biggest clutch mm-hmm. and it is really it's easier for people like me to care for others than ourselves mm-hmm. and so it's been a learning process in adulthood mm-hmm. because you get to a point where you either care for yourself or you have a mental breakdown sure and usually yeah. the mental breakdown comes first and then you learn to care for yourself mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it, it's more of a rock bottom scenario but it's super important. And if I and if I ever get to a point where I don't care about my patients anymore, I don't I shouldn't be at the bedside anymore. And mm-hmm. that's totally fine. 
It's right. just it's, a lot of people reach that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I also get to a point where I'm not caring for myself at all anymore, then I mm-hmm. also shouldn't be at the bedside. Right. You know, and I really believe you can't love and care for others on more than you're loving and caring for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that is shown true in my experiences time and time and time again. So when I become snappy and impatient and un- less compassionate with people in my life and people at work and um, those just those around me, I realize that I need to stop and step back and take care of myself. And then I can be who I want to be with the people I love and the people I interact with mm-hmm. in the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes total sense. And of course, I'm sure it's, it's much easier said than done. Um, and it, it seems as though you're doing a decent job keeping it, keeping it all in balance. But I'm sure sometimes that a lot of what we do in life is, is keeping up appearances, right? I mean, we, we, we do our best and more than anything else, we try to make sure it's like you're, you're putting your best foot forward, at least to the public, to the people around you so that no one's worrying about you or no one thinks you don't have it together. So it's not to say that you don't actually internally, but um, <laughs> it's okay. I never have. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, on that front, I guess something that I'll, I'll pivot to a little bit, and then maybe we'll come back to some of this other stuff. But I don't want to bog down on it too hard. Um, I've always known you to be someone that's like pretty. You you live life in in what at least seems like kind of a carefree way. Right? You don't seem super concerned about others judgments of you or you you seem to want to live your life how you want to live it and aren't not that you don't care what other people think but that you've always struck me as someone who is just willing to be themselves in in a way that that i i honestly think is admirable uh just so you know it's a compliment (laughs) Uh, i'm not saying that you're like uh, totally detached Uh, (laughs) but uh yeah, I, I just I feel like that's something that people struggle with so much in general as far as just offering their their honest, genuine selves to the world uh, for whatever that looks like, regardless of what others might say or do or feel. And I'm curious if that's something that you either like make a conscious effort to do or if that's something that's just kind of natural. And, and if so, if you feel like there's just Anything in general you would attribute that to? Oh, there are a lot of different points. Okay, yeah. Where we could... <laughs> Let's dig in. Um, go with that. Um, so I think from childhood, I had... You know, I faced a lot of challenges with a parent out of the home and socioeconomic challenges. And I was, one, I was the baby of four. And mm. there... There were a lot of points where I learned my own insignificance in the world, Mm. which, you know, on the flip side of that, you're significant, but also we're very insignificant (laughs) and small. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's kind of a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, who am I when nobody is looking? That's cheesy. Oh, (laughs) that came from a song. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, But but also like, and and I, I just like, got I went through some things and and a lot of things and other people around me didn't seem to be going through the same things Mm -hmm. um and I didn't really 
feel that I had resources or or a lot of help going through those things. And I just felt like I was like totally like stripped down to the bare to my bare bones of my soul. And I I didn't even know that that's what it was at that time. Mm. But during several times during my upbringing and I, you know, and it's it's like, well, what what do I have now? Mm -hmm. And I have me. And there's and when that's all you have to you know, s- scrape up the mountain with, mm, Yeah, it develops and it grows and you can't, and when that feels so, when you develop your own self and rely and lean on your own self and your own strength and your own person mm-hmm. to get through hard things because there's nothing else to support you, mm-hmm. um, it causes you, it forces you to develop that sense of self in a big way. And mm-hmm. then once you have that little ball of self knowledge, mm-hmm. you can't pretend to be right. Cindy because <laughs> it it's not because you have that. Mm-hmm. I feel like people don't even have the smallest ball of self knowledge and then you can't grow with that. Mm-hmm. And once that ball of self knowledge grows, you don't have a choice but to be yourself mm-hmm. and and relying on yourself and then knowing that you can do things mm-hmm. and accomplish things and survive things on your own. Mm-hmm. Then you don't need other people and you don't need other people's validation. And, right. and you need community and you need love and you need, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all that squishy stuff, but... You don't need somebody to get up off the kitchen floor mm-hmm. and go deal with life. Right. You know? Yeah. And that just that self-reliance um, grows into self-strength and self-knowledge and all of that, you know, tumbleweeds together into who you are. And I would not wish certain parts of my life on anyone. Mm-hmm. I am glad that they happened because I've come away with this strengthen this unique sense of self that a lot of people don't get to until their midlife because Mm -hmm. they don't, they've never been challenged like that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And you can totally stop me if, if there's something that that's not worth getting into, but I'm, it's something I, I often think about personally, as far as situations, things I experienced growing up or, even as an adult that as you kind of spoke to, you wouldn't, you wouldn't wish upon anyone else. You wouldn't want anyone else to have experienced, but that you feel like changed you for the better. And I'm just curious if you'd be willing to speak to anything specific on that front that you feel like you were objectively improved by and and it made you who you are, but you, you wouldn't go back and do it again. You wouldn't, you wouldn't subject it to someone that, that you cared about. When you grow up with different forms of scarcity, Mm -hmm. you know, emotional scarcity, food, financial scarcity, Mm -hmm. you learn what is really important. And it's not what a lot of our modern world is built up around. And those moments where I was put in a position to choose or have an impact on that and, and my choice affected others, I... It's just, it's like, oh, I really, 
don't care about that. Okay. So we'll get into some examples here. Um, okay. You know, those moments where you just like turn over <laughs> Oh yeah. in your mind and you cannot ever forget them, even mm-hmm. though you'd really like to, oh, and yeah. you just like obsess <laughs> over them and they, they fester. And oftentimes they, they fester like that because there's shame involved and shame is such a beautifully horrific thing. Um, oh, I mean, that's, that's being a human. But I had a lot of those moments and one of them was like, I was, I was just like seven and I realized I was invited to go ice skating and out to dinner with my friends mm-hmm. and we like had no money and mm-hmm. we, you know, we were in a very tight spot and, and my mother didn't talk about that at all with us. Yeah. We were, ne- she really worked so hard to protect us from the hardest parts of, of that, but you can't not know as mm-hmm. a child, you know? Yeah. And, and you don't even know how much you knew as an adult looking back at that child. Oh yeah. But you know, they, these were family friends. I assume they knew, mm-hmm. you know, if I was getting invited that either they would pay for it or they wouldn't invite me. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not like it was a hidden thing or yeah, yeah. our distress at that time. And I remember her, my friend's mom being like, well, you'll need money for dinner at this expensive restaurant and ice skating. Oh, yeah. And mom looked in her wallet and had $40. And I was like, that's like our grocery money for the week or like, mm-hmm. and I just was like trying to figure out like so rapidly in my mind how to get out of this engagement. Mm-hmm. Cause I would have never, I knew to say no if it was going to cost money. Right. And she gave me the $40 and I just had the most miserable time ever. And it's just those moments. And you like, you, you hold them in your hand and you turn them over, over in time again. And you look at your mom and you have this connection of like, I wish I wasn't, didn't go, but I can't not go. And and she doesn't want you to have this like Mm -hmm. ostracizing experience. And, and you take these moments and turn them over and, and back again about eight, 800,000 times. And, and you analyze it from all different areas. Like, why didn't they know better? And why didn't, maybe I should have known. And what are my feelings here? And what are they experiencing? And what is my mom experiencing? And, and from these moments that cause you so much like shame and, and deep rooted, you know, guilt and, and all these, you know, anger and sadness and all of these horrible emotions, but you turn it around over and over and over again. And then Mm -hmm. you have learned so much from that. Right. And I was seven and I can still feel like, I can still feel that. Mm -hmm. And then there was, you know, a couple instances of sexual assault because that happens to like every girl these days, but it is, they really like your mind does very strange things with that. And Mm -hmm. they really help you. They don't help you in any way. They just destroy you. But on the bright side, you learn so much from that. Mm. And you, you know, every, every really hard experience or thing you have to overcome and you, you of course mismanage these things before you figure out how to overcome them. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you just have these, 
then you learn why you mismanaged them and mm-hmm. and why you chose drinking instead of you know yoga to get over sexual assault um <laughs> right. and you you just all of these experiences i wouldn't wish on people that i love but i have learned so much from them and mm-hmm. i have been able to see what other people might be going through or i have been able to Mm-hmm. empathize with other people or see maybe what someone's going through and they can't talk about yet right. because I've been there and I've had several different experiences like that where it gives you this this picture into other people's mind because you've analyzed these situations from all sides mm-hmm. and it's just it's a privilege and it was a very difficult learning curve knowing that other people could not see situations like that Mm. and you know some people call it empath some people you know there are right some people call it wise woman there's the whole coyote woman thing but okay i'm not (laughs) not familiar but there's i'll run with it (laughs) run with the wolves um it's this amazing privilege and it puts you in a position where you can help other people if you are able to step mm. back and grow from these experiences and turn them around and see them from all these different angles and all these different people's experiences, not just yours in that situation. Mm. And then and then you have more self-knowledge because you know how you reacted and you know how other people handle these things. And right. It just, you know then you have your own two feet to stand on and you're so, so much better off being able to have said you've overcome something. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and from a lot of these things, I was lucky enough to be ostracized or felt ostracized in settings of like school and, and communities growing up because of different socioeconomic status, status or you know, I'm dealing with this emotional onslaught from mm-hmm. sexual assault and this person is worried about the crust that their parent didn't right. cut on their bread and and it's just like, mm-hmm. you're kind of like, <laughs> it's up a- with that girl? But then you're also like, well, I'm kind of glad she's not dealing with this, but right. it gives you this sense of isolation. And from that, you you really don't belong anywhere and mm-hmm. so then you you get to be you know a part of the wind <laughs> yeah no i mean i yeah. i can definitely <laughs> i can definitely relate to that i think it's it's a very i think it's an incredible perspective to have it's not an easy one to have and it's i think even just talking about any of this, of, of course, can be very challenging. So I, I appreciate you doing so. Um, it's just one of those things where, and and I'm sure on some different levels, but I, I guess to your initial point, I, I grew up in a similar capacity. I, I, in a, I guess in a more extreme way, I grew up in an environment, at least in an educational sense, where everyone was well off. Uh, I was, I went to a private school, uh, kind of by the grace of someone else, essentially. Uh, my mom 
did everything that she could to to provide for us in the best way possible. She sacrificed incredibly to to make sure that I got a good education in a way that at times was hard for me to justify. Right? That, that sort of day-to-day situation where it's like, we are struggling so much and I I go here. I, I pay for school. For, school can be free. Um, and like I said, most of it was covered by the grace of other people who, who decided to to create programs for, for students like me. But there still definitely was a, a significant contribution. Uh, and it's a very, you know, these institutions for, for young kids that are private, I mean, they're, they're fucking expensive. Yeah. And um, I definitely can relate to that feeling of sometimes just being like, to just carrying a sense of guilt or a sense of obligation to, to do more, to be more, to, to contribute when it's like, there's, there's so many other base problems here. And of course it's my mom and she loves me and I understand why she's doing this. And I appreciate that, but it's also like, is it, is it necessary? And I also had a situation where my brother actually in high school, essentially he kind of hit a tipping point in that regard. And he was like, I'm not going to go here anymore. Like send me to public school. Uh, for some other reasons, but a lot of it was this very practical aspect that he had, this very selfless aspect of his personality that he decided it just wasn't worth it anymore. And to be fair, like there was there was other variables, but that was definitely a big one. And even for me at the time, like that was hard because I was like, what so do I stay? Do I keep doing this? Am I am I being selfish for doing this? And it's it's tough, especially when you're young. And you talked about when you were seven, but at any time in that age range where like you you are selfish you you're fundamentally selfish you're just a kid you you don't really you you try your best to to be a good child to your parents but you you're not an adult yet and you're not really in the mode of being able to process the the nuance of life and so you on the day-to-day basis like you you do want to go ice skating you you do want to have some ice cream you you want these these simple things that, of course, from an adult perspective, you realize how much stress that can really put on a situation. And of course, like our parents always, you know, uh, well, at least one of our parents always wanted the best <laughs> for us um, at any given time. But it's, I guess I say that all to just say that I, I can relate to, to being in those situations where it's like, okay, how how do you, at what age can you expect an individual to to take that leap and be like, you know what, actually, I'm not going to go hang out with my friends. I'm not going to go on this field trip. I'm not going to play this sport. I'm not going to be on this sports team because it's not feasible for my family right now. Like, wh- How the fuck can you expect a child to make that sort of decision? But through these situations, you generally have to mature faster than others. And you do start thinking about these things at a young age. And as you kind of spoke to, you, you see other people and the things that they're concerned about, things that they're worried about. And it's, it's hard to relate. It's hard to be like, okay. Um, yeah. I am wondering what, what's, what's for dinner tonight because uh, uh, food stamps have run out. Um, and you, you, your, your friend next to you is, you know, driving a BMW and in, in next yeah, year or whatever, exactly. you know, it's, it's just, it's there's a disconnect there and it can be hard to not feel I definitely 
at times felt very isolated when I was in school and I had a good group of friends and I had um, a lot of situations, a lot of people who were just very gracious to me, very generous. So I was able to experience a lot because I, I never really felt honestly judged by any of my friends, even though they were, were, you know, they just had so much more than I did. And so I feel very lucky in that capacity that they brought me along to a lot of things and, and paid for me to do things I never would have been able to do. So I feel like I was very privileged in that sense, but at the same time, just priorities are different. <laughs> the way you see the world is different. Uh, I, I've spoken to it in a previous episode, but like when my mom had cancer in high school, it was just like, I, I just kind of just like moved through my senior year, like on autopilot where I was just like, I didn't feel like anyone could relate to where I was in my life, what I was dealing with. It was, it was just me and my mom at home. Um, and it was, it was a super tough time for the both of us. And I just, I, I expected no one to be able to relate to that. And so I just didn't really talk about it. I didn't really share it. I just was like, I'm just going to get through school and, and figure whatever out. And to be fair, it's not that I regret it in any capacity, but I think I was actually kind of wrong there. And it's something I didn't really reflect on until, you know, a year or so ago, but that I really wasn't right to assume that they couldn't relate. And sure, our lives were different and our priorities were different, but they had their own problems that I wasn't aware of too. And it sometimes seemed like on the surface, like, oh, everything's hunky-dory because you've got money or whatever. You know, we, we, we tend to think of life that way, but then you start actually opening up to people, you start sharing and you're like, oh, fuck, like everyone has been through something like this, even if it's like, okay, yeah, sure, your dad wasn't in and out of jail when you were a kid, but like it's it's something, it's different. Maybe your parents were having an affair and like you were somewhat exposed to that and no one's insulated from that shit regardless of what yeah. you have. Everyone has their problems. Everyone has their shit that they're carrying that they don't really talk about. And until I started opening up, which was shit when I was 18, when I went to college and I didn't know people, yeah. that was like the thing for me was no one knew me, no one knew my past, no one had the expectation of me to be like this kid that a lot of people thought I was because I didn't talk about my shit. Right. No one, I mean, people knew, but people didn't really know how poor we were. People didn't really know that my dad wasn't around. Like stuff like that, yeah. they just had no idea. And I just never talked about it. And a lot of times they just lied. Like when they would ask about stuff, I just made things up. No one ever came to my house when I was a kid. Not even, not even one time because yeah. I was so concerned about keeping up some sort of sense of, I'm just like everybody else. And until I went to college and I, it was new people. So I could just like share my shit and they were just like, Oh, this is just the person that we know instead of this person we thought we knew for nine years and all that. Uh, when I was like, Oh fuck, like this is people deal with this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody has something that'll bring, that'll make someone else's heart heavy if they mm -hmm. are privileged enough to be exposed to it. But right. I, it's funny that you said that you feel like you were wrong for not mm -hmm. opening up to your friends and maybe your close friends, but mm -hmm. I tried to open up to people mm -hmm. in, in my community and maybe I just, I was not as good at reading people, reading people as I am now. And I opened mm -hmm. up to the wrong people and it didn't go well. And so from that, I learned to not open up mm -hmm. to people um, about things I was going through because they, it made them super uncomfortable and it, mm -hmm. and it, made them feel like they couldn't talk about their stuff and then it's not mm. a relationship and then right and 
and it made them look at me different, which I really hated because mm-hmm. then I was this tainted person or I was this person they should they should feel bad for. Right. And and I really hated that. Pity is the worst thing in the world. And from that, I learned not to open up to people, but I was so lucky to be very close to my siblings and we're all very close in age. And we ended up having a good dialogue. Mm-hmm about a lot of hard things in our lives and then having a good dialogue about hard things in our individual lives because of what we shared, we could mm. talk about. Yeah. And so we're very close and we fell in a lot mm-hmm. and I would talk to them and not other people. And I would be who other people wanted me to be. Mm-hmm. And when I knew I was being ingenuine with myself, I, I didn't like that, but when you grow up like we did mm-hmm. in different, you know, we grew up differently, but a lot of similarities. But when you grow up in a place of scarcity of any kind, mm-hmm. you have an exaggerated view of what, of your effect on people, mm-hmm. how much food you eat off the table and how much right you cost when you go shopping for school clothes. Mm-hmm. And even more than that, how much attention you require mm. or don't have to acquire because they're tired and how much, like you just become so aware of everything you do and how it affects other people. And I think that is such a wonderful tool, but it's also when turned the wrong way, as it often is in adolescence and mm. young adulthood and childhood, it can be really shaming and and make you struggle with self-worth right but it's also a privilege to be able to understand that you have an effect on everybody in your life Mm -hmm. and and that how you respect that fact is important Mm -hmm. and it sounds like you had really true friends who if they knew would have regarded you the same and supported sure. you and now you know that and that's wonderful yeah yeah and i mean i guess to be fair i think it's an interesting point that you made because i i don't mean to paint the picture that like i just like turned over a new leaf and i just like figured it all out no, and now yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like this open book because to be 100 percent honest i still haven't had those conversations really yeah with my close friends I've had them with other people, which is like sometimes honestly kind of weird for me because people that don't know me as well, I'm more comfortable talking about my past because they didn't experience my past. Yeah. They didn't know me through all these times when they had no idea that shit was going on. Um, And to this day, it's something I I even sometimes talk to my wife about where it's like it's this weird – I know it wouldn't be weird and it's not that I doubt my friend's capacity to have empathy or understanding. but sometimes, like, I don't see them that often. And it's like, is this really what we want to crack into? Because this is going to take a long time, right? right. You, you see them every like, few months. And it's like, is this how I want to spend my time? Just, like, yeah. kind of making you feel uncomfortable unloading all this shit that, like, I'm right. I'm good with now. But you still are going to have to process all this and be like, oh, shit. My experience of you at that time was not what I thought it was. And this is this is how I talk myself out of it. If, if, yeah. if you're not... um. If you're not catching that, but it's, I'm definitely still not fully there yet. And I obviously want to be there on some level. And a lot of it is kind of excuses. I mean, there's logic to what I'm saying, of course, but 
it's I'm definitely not at a point where I I've taken the time to really sit down and and have those conversations, which I once again was lucky enough to have a very close knit group of friends who I really do feel would support me through anything. It just as you spoke to, I didn't feel like they could relate. So it was like, why even put why burden them with this shit? Like, why can't they just like have their kind of happy go lucky perspective and there's no need to be like man i'm worried about brandon now um but once again i i i assume that in a decade i'll look back and say that i was wrong for still having (laughs) now i i would hope that i i could get there um and to be fair i'm honestly in a way i guess we're just we're really going for it today but i'm i'm still kind of there in 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 a new way even and I think it, I guess it's it's all kind of related because it's for me it's this it's this past understanding that sometimes trips me up, where, um, you know I had people who who knew my dad when I was younger. He was involved. He was uh, you know a basketball coach. It was like so there's a relationship there, and so to really get into the things that went wrong and the difficulties, it just would to me seemed weird. Um, and on a similar level now. And this is something that I, I tend to not talk about much, but um, with people that that knew, or I guess know, my brother, um, given what he's been dealing with recently, and I, I won't get into it in any depth, but he's, a lot has changed. And uh, we went to school together and we were in college together. So we, we do share some of the same friends and due to a a very unpredictable i guess we'll say mental health crisis he's not the same person anymore and um it's been incredibly hard for me personally it's been incredibly hard on my family and it's it almost feels like one of the least relatable things imaginable and that's not like to blow it up out of proportion but unless you're in it it doesn't even really make sense it's and so it's it's such a hard thing to talk about to people that don't have experience with very severe mental health situations. And of course, a few years ago, that wasn't the case for me. And I had I had such a terrible understanding of what that's like. So it's I'm I'm in that place to some extent, again, that I don't it is something that I struggle to talk about. And it's it's easier, actually, for me to talk to people who who don't know the situation as well, who don't have that prior relationship. So I, it's not that I haven't talked about it in, in a friend of mine who has dealt with some similar stuff and, and had a brother who, who killed himself. Um, not that that's explicitly the situation here, but a similar type scenario in a way that I was able to kind of open up about it for the first time. And of course, I'm always talking about it with my family and with my wife and all that, but it's a very internal problem. And it's something that hugely impacts me and my, and my day-to-day life and who I am, but it's just that level of can people relate to this and, and what, what level of understanding can they even offer? It's sometimes that can be a difficult barrier. And I think often people, as I spoke to already, they can surprise you, right? I think sometimes we just assume, all right, they're just not going to see where I'm coming from here, or they're just going to feel bad for me. So why even talk about it? But yeah, I, I figured I would just cop to that one because I'm I'm kind of there now again, and yeah. that I I tend to just keep that pretty close to the vest. And when people ask, they're like, "Ah, oh, how's your family? How's how's your mom? How's your brother?" And 
a part of me always just wants to say, oh, you know, doing all right. right. <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of the default. And, and the case is, is very much not that. Um, right. And it hasn't been for a long time. And that's difficult to to just like casually break into, especially when it's something that's been going on for a while now. And so it's like to just dive into all that right. uh, in a casual conversation where someone's just expecting you to be like, as I'm I say, good. yeah, pretty good. You know, you're uh, still still back at that. You know, it's it's weird. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, first off, I keep I've I've changed how I put this, but I kept thinking I had figured things out mm -hmm. and like, oh, I figured it out and I figured out who I am and I figured out how to deal with stuff. And then a year later, I'm like, oh, I figured it out. I figured out who I am and I figured out how to deal with stuff. Mm -hmm. And then now I'm like, oh, I've learned yeah some things period yeah. <laughs> and because you never figure anything out fully mm -hmm. and you never stop growing or experiencing new things but i think part of this goes back to the very beginning of a conversation where we said people don't have these long conversations anymore you're not right. gonna sit down and grab coffee with your friend for 20 minutes and catch up while they're out of town and say i'm having a really hard emotional time mm -hmm. right this is this Especially as a ginormous man. Ginormous thing who's going on, especially as a man. And and when you sit and like a lot of times, even with my closest friends, I sit, we do a walk and we sit on the porch and it's not till like the very end of like eight hours of hanging out <laughs> right. and I'm like, I'm actually in a crisis. <laughs> and I've been laughing all day yeah. and I've been my joyous self and mm. and I'm like, I'm actually in one of the hardest places I've ever been in. Right. And there's, and that's, there's also like appropriate sharing and knowing when to yeah. share and knowing when there's going to be benefit and growth in relationship and when there's, you know, right. and if, if it's an in passing or whatever, maybe that's just not the right, mm. maybe you'll reach a time where you see people daily or something and this will come up retrospectively, mm. but what you're going through then comes up right. and you really lean on them. So it could just be a, you know, ships in the night thing for this situation with that person. Right. Um, even though you trust them and you know they would support you. Mm -hmm. But I just think it's really hard to have these conversations with people because people are very, it's all short. It's all yeah. superficial. It's all over text. It's mm. all on, oh, I saw their Facebook, so I've caught up with them. Right. And it's like, that's not real life. No. That's an advertisement for your life. Mm-hmm. And that's not actually connecting with someone. That does not satiate that need for connection and understanding with another person. Yeah. And and it's it's just really hard to have to talk about hard things with people when mm -hmm. you only talk about the weather and yeah. work and you know your your new pair of jeans. Sure. I mean, yeah, I don't know about that. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you made that point because it it really does sum it up well that it's and now as I reflect, I can't I think the only situation beyond it being like a, a really significant point of empathy and like that I, I felt like there was an individual who just really could understand where I was coming from at base. The only time I've really talked about it is when we had like an extended period of time with a friend of ours and you know it was 
it was a few days that we spent together and like eventually it came up. Yeah. But it's it's not the sort of thing, as you said, that you just like crack into off top. And sometimes it's you have to get all this other sh- shit out of the way. I mean, it's not shit shit, yeah. but it's you have other things to talk about. And it's not like you put your life on hold just because you're suffering. And right? you got to work up to, to that because it's it's so vulnerable and you have to settle into that comfortable space with other people. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think in an ideal world, the, the, the quicker you could get there, the better. But as you spoke to, it's just hard. We're not spending a lot of time doing this, especially now, because it's not something you want to like talk about over Zoom yeah. <laughs> or I mean, maybe over the phone, but even not really that because all the nonverbal stuff is not there. And when you're having to be really genuinely vulnerable about something, you you need that feedback. You need to be like, you need to understand how they're reacting to what you're saying and, and how much you feel comfortable sharing based on that. And so with people just literally more than ever because of the way the world is moving, but also because of this last year and the pandemic, it's just people aren't sitting down and, and having long conversations or just spending a lot of extended time together. So it's just harder than ever, or I might just say easier than ever to kind of just hold it in or just yeah. to kind of keep it close to the vest. And um, it's something as you probably can glean from what I'm sharing that I'm, I'm trying to push myself to, to do better about because I know it's important and I know that I value these relationships enough in my life to, to take the time to have those conversations so that because they, people want to be there for you. They, yeah. they do, they care. And it's, <laughs> you're not really doing them a surface service by keeping them insulated from your problems, but. That's what you tell yourself. Right. <laughs> sure. It, not it, share. It helps. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it, it seems like a decent reason. But it's also hard these days because you, you're with someone for an extended period of time and half the time they're checking their Snapchat. <laughs> and you're yeah, like ready for your vulnerable moment and then and you like, look over and they're laughing at this <laughs> weird video yeah. and you're just like oh well, no, next right. time maybe yeah, next time just lost it there and yeah. it's just it, it makes it it um it really emphasizes the that concern that you have about them not being able to relate yeah because when you see someone just like kind of detached kind of in their own world or just like being absorbed in in social media or their phone you're just like okay maybe this you just it's easier to tell yourself that you misread the situation and that it's worth sharing when someone's like we can't even keep eye contact you know that that definitely definitely makes it harder um and uh, on the same level or not even on the same level but in in a similar space it's i still think there's value obviously to just like hang out with people you know oh, just yeah. shoot the shit and talk about and weather. not be worried about your own shit um but i also i think it's very important and something i have to remind myself because i don't do a good job of doing this is and not that i would ever i've never in any way felt that this is like a problem problem but as you know i'm i'm married and and i love her very much and we we talk about everything but on a certain level, it's not necessarily fair to only open up to one person. Yeah. It's it's not even really responsible <laughs> to do that and to put all of it on someone else 
for her her to be the only person that I really get into things with or that I I really express myself on a deep level is kind of unfair to her and she would never feel that way yeah but it's it is honestly helpful to have more people to have more perspectives to to just have someone else to to unload onto a little bit when you need to and I think that is sometimes something that I forget uh, because she does such a good job of, of supporting me in that sense and hopefully I to her as well but I think she generally does a better job of sharing with others on on a more intimate level and I I guess it takes me to you know be on a on a microphone going out <laughs> Uh, on the record to going out to you know random people for for me to open my fucking mouth about <laughs> <laughs> well i think that's just also it's much easier for women to found to find mm -hmm. friends to have that space with that emotional vulnerability right and i think it's i mean Thank God I'm not a man, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> honestly, I wouldn't make it a day. Don't need more of us. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a an interesting point of, of relation, and it's something that I'll, I'll continue to keep in mind. I, I definitely, it's I empathize with. I, I'm trying to give myself, I guess, maybe the both of us some grace in this situation yeah, that it's you. it's definitely not easy to to really offer ourselves up to the world in, in a real way all the time and where i started with this whole <laughs> this whole tirade <laughs> um uh i mean more of a more of a digression but yeah it came from a place of i, I think you do a better job of this than me i think you're generally someone who is good at at offering yourself up to the world for whatever that's worth. Um, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you've just like been been super fake with me this whole time. <laughs> this totally different person. But um, yeah, it's it's something that is to some degree at the heart of why I started this in the first place. Is that it's it's often very hard because our identities can be so complicated and entangled and, and how we see ourselves in the world and the perception of that self that is it's very hard to really be genuine it's really hard to just be vulnerable and and express what we feel compelled to express and in this format the idea is well people don't really know who you are <laughs> so yeah. there's Hopefully, it gives people a, just a little bit more of an opportunity to feel a little more comfortable with having these extended conversations that that could go anywhere and that could at least it it helps for me. I find myself being much more open when I'm being recorded. I don't really know how that makes sense, but no, it, um, it does in a quirky, strange, upside down way. Yeah, but I remember this very clear moment where I don't know I was raised in this like wealthy area mm -hmm. I was raised Catholic which is a very shame and judgment based <laughs> me too um god bless us yeah <laughs> <laughs> or maybe bless us less it's a fun one um it's very judgment and shame based mm. idea of discipline and growth and right and that doesn't work thank mm. you research um <laughs> and science but I remember you obviously 
go with what you know until mm. you know better. And right. I remember being in eighth grade and I went to my first music festival and it was just this, you know, you have these epiphany moments mm. and that was an epiphany experience in its entirety. I had never been exposed to anything like that before. Right. And thank God I was when I was. Mm. Um, but I remember seeing this woman just in her like 40. She was bodacious and she was not beautiful in the way that the world says you should be. And mm. she was not dancing in a way that the world said was <laughs> right. beautiful. And she was not dressed in the way that the <laughs> world told you to dress. And she looked picturesque and perfect and like she was her pure self and she was doing exactly what she wanted at the time and mm. so joyous in that and i remember looking at her and at first i was super judgmental mm -hmm. i was just like oh, why yeah. is she moving like she's moving her body like that and like <laughs> yeah. that's like what is why is this cover herself up and like you know and then i was just like well who the fuck am i mm. and why do i even think that and i remember just being like and all day I had been telling my friends there that I don't dance. That was mm. my line because I oh, wow, really? didn't, I don't, yeah, I know, hard <laughs> to imagine now. Uh, <laughs> if you've ever seen me at a wedding, you will not forget it. Um, and I, that was my tagline because I never knew how and I was too afraid to be vulnerable and open and, and not be good at it. Mm -hmm. it and I saw her and I was just, I was just like, what is she doing? And then I was like, why am I judging her? Mm -hmm. And like, I want to be her. Yeah. I don't want to be me right now. <laughs> I don't want to be this judgmental asshole on the sideline. Mm -hmm. I want to be her who's in, who's doing her thing in the arena, like living her life, the, mm -hmm. you know, and, and just digging her nails into who she is and what makes her happy in her expression. And, and then I danced that night. Yeah on a chair <laughs> at a music festival. And I, that's a good place to start. I, it was a very good place to start. <laughs> and it really gave me a good, in that moment, I was like, why am I judging people? Mm -hmm. And if I could do anything right now, what would it actually be? Mm -hmm. And from then I had increasingly less shame mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and dignity <laughs> accordingly. Um, from there, and it was just this great moment where I just was like, oh, there's no, I'd rather be the person being themselves and expressing mm -hmm. themselves and having that, that joy and, and only giving very few people permission to judge you and not mm -hmm. judge you, but, um, have an impact on you, have an impact, have care what they think about you. Mm -hmm. Um. And those people who would only do it if I was maybe being, you know what I mean? People you trust, people whose person you respect and highly regard mm -hmm. and and wouldn't just judge you for dressing wrong. Right. Something stupid like that, but mm -hmm. who would judge you for maybe treating someone poorly or mm -hmm. being ingenuine with yourself or being very mean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that correction I listened to. But people who also like those people also love me, mm. and very very few people have any authority in that way in my life. And mm. 
and I, of course everyone slips up like I, you know and I started my a new job and all of a sudden what everyone thought mattered mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I was like but now I'm so used to being my genuine self like it takes practice and practice and then mm-hmm. you, and you just can't help it even when you wish you could mm-hmm. and it was just I was just like well like they're gonna like me if they like me <laughs> and they're not if they're not but I'm here so yeah. And, you know, most people get used to me because I'm not a terrible person. (laughs) Not everybody loves me, you know, like a lot of people are just like, that's too much or that's Mm. too weird or that's just not in my universe. But they learn to tolerate me and and that's fine (laughs) because there will be people who like me for who I am. Mm. And I'd rather have people dislike me for who I am than like me for who I'm not. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there it is. And uh, I don't remember <laughs> even how we got here. We keep no, going I, on these I digressions. I do 100%. Actually. <laughs> that's, that's it. We could just cut out the last <laughs> 45 minutes and just cut that, the beginning of the Lady at the Music Festival story. Yeah, that's my and answer. We're just, <laughs> I know you said go. you've never done this before, but that was, that was impressive, uh, impressive timing there, how you just wove that all. Together. I know yeah, you're, you're looking I, at me like, what the fuck are you I talking, no about? What you're talking about? I'm sure <laughs> no. I will when you're done editing. Um, no, just kidding. No. There's no editing. <laughs> I'm perfect. No, but I mean, I, <laughs> honestly, I, you might not, it might take some retrospect to realize it, but that was my original question that you just answered with a, with a wonderful story that it was very, very insightful to me in a lot of ways that I think it's a, almost a, a metaphorically meaningful experience that I learned a lot from in a a different way in life and more from something that I read but having that experience of of realizing that like you you are losing when you are the one sitting on the sidelines judging other people and not Um, being your genuine self and doing what you mm -hmm. not being the person you want to be in that situation right well why aren't you that person Mm. but yeah I mean that was to your credit, once again, I know you don't quite see it yet, but my original <laughs> question was about how you came to be this person who was uh, not as concerned with, with other people's judgments and just kind of living in this more free-spirited way. And I didn't know that you didn't dance previously. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a huge surprise. But yeah, that honestly really, really put a perfect bow on it all there to to just have it come full circle and and for that to organically come up. I mean, I just think it was a nice moment. So. And, and I want to accentuate that took practice to be where I'm at now that I can't help it. God bless me. Like, oh, you sure. know, I wish I could half the time <laughs> being myself. Not actually. Mm-hmm. It's nice. But, <laughs> you know, like at first I had, the, I've had, I would have these little like enlightened moments where I was like, oh, I feel totally myself in that moment. You know, when you mm-hmm. just, you feel good after whatever you did and you feel good doing it and you feel like oh that's how I would want to have handled that situation if I could be anyone Mm -hmm. and then you have these little moments of that and then you have a lot of most of the time probably (laughs) at that stage you're not like that at all Mm -hmm. and you're looking and you're like thinking back and like oh I could have done that different or I wish I didn't care about that or Mm -hmm. you know I wish I was the one who got up on the stage to do karaoke (laughs) you know and and then you have these little moments where you handle a situation just like you want you to, you, you know, you would want yourself mm-hmm. to, and you, you stepped out of your comfort zone, but it felt good, right. you know, 
even if the situation went terribly, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, you sang karaoke and you were Beyonce, you know, right. it meant you <laughs> sang karaoke and it was probably terrible. But you did it. But you had that moment of vulnerability and imperfection mm-hmm. to the world. And then you were okay after you were mm-hmm. still you. And you were like, oh, and other people sang terrible karaoke. Maybe you <laughs> right. gave them that courage, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just, it takes moments and then it becomes you know, bigger moments or hours or scenarios. And eventually you figure out what feels like yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you never want to go back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can definitely relate to that. And that's honestly kind of why we're here. Right? I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it, it, I'm getting better about it, hopefully, but it is a, it's a definite challenge for me, even with this whole project that at times I, I listen to recordings and I'm just like, fuck this. <laughs> yeah, I just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's a constant exercise of self-acceptance because it's so hard to go back and to listen to all the things that you've said and to not just analyze and say, ah, I, that's, that's not what I was trying to get across. That's not the word I was trying to use. What am I saying? Stop saying um so much. Stop saying but so much. <laughs> Stop whatever that you're doing. It's very hard to look back and and not just be a fucking asshole to yourself but and i I guess i already kind of told you this story off air but and it's something i've mentioned before i feel like on air but that my very first experience with all of this in my very first episode where i like i really had a moment in that first episode where i i felt like i was just done with it i felt like i wasn't supposed to be doing it despite everything that i had already done and the whole concept of this fucking project about imposter syndrome and just being your honest self and, and being okay with that. And I just, I made a simple mistake. I just couldn't remember a word and I'll never forget it now. It, it was nihilism. And <laughs> oh yeah, that word. I, I, just, <laughs> I know what that means. I just couldn't get past it. And I remember having a moment where I was really honestly thinking that I just, I had wasted my guest time. I had wasted everyone's time. I'd wasted money on this equipment. I was just going to tuck it all away, never release it. That was it. Just because I couldn't remember one fucking word and it made me sound kind of dumb in one second of the podcast. And then I remember having a moment after that moment being like, oh, fuck. Dude, you almost derailed yourself that easily. Like it was that easy for you to doubt yourself, to derail yourself, to talk down to yourself and to make this a problem that is not a big deal. And and that to what you just spoke to, I had a moment of like, oh, like, okay, I, I made a mistake. I was embarrassed. I was genuinely embarrassed. The thing that I want to not happen the most when I'm on these recordings is to just go blank and it happened. And I was able to be okay with it. I, I was able to just move on. The conversation went great after that. I was able to ultimately put it out to the world and just not be so fucking concerned about it. And sure, like a part of me still very much cares about these sorts of things. And I'll probably pour over this later tonight. <laughs> As and, you're hearing yourself talk about this right. exact thing and be like, damn it. Why, why did, did I, I even talk about that this? Like that? I've just kept this in. But yeah, we just it it can be so valuable to sometimes have those moments or just to get in the practice like you were saying it takes time, but just episode after episode just being like, 
no, like this is this is what happened in the conversation. <laughs> so what if it didn't go perfectly? So what if it's not the most eloquent thing you've ever said? Like this is how people talk. This is how yeah. a conversation happens. And it's not always the hyper-produced shit that you hear like at the highest level. And you don't even really care about that stuff when you listen. Like when I listen to other media, I when people mess up, a dog starts barking, a phone rings, <laughs> all that shit. I don't care. But when it happens to me, I make it a big deal. And but over time, that that just practice of of getting used to just being like, no, that was that was perfect. That was perfect just the way it was because I was okay with it and I did it and yeah. I, I let other people hear it. I put it out there and that's a win. Like we could just chalk that off. And I feel like when you are at that cusp of vulnerability and mm. like you're so ready to jump on yourself about nitpicky things that nobody else would notice is when you're really like, congrats on getting through that yeah. and getting to this episode. And like, that's when you're really like at this pivotal moment of like self-growth or on the cusp of something out of your boundary that you're reaching for. And that's amazing. Mm. That's such a good place to right. be, you know, yeah. it just doesn't always feel like it. Yeah. And as Oprah said in one of her magazines, um, <laughs> <laughs> this is something that I, I give it as, as advice all the time yeah. to like my friends and I, mean, I completely yeah. <laughs> ignore for myself is, you know, treat yourself like you treat your best friend. Oh yeah. That's a big one. And it's so great. And I, and then I like talk too much in a meeting <laughs> and I go to my friend's house and I'm just like. You won't believe what I said in this meeting with all these high up people. Mm. Who am I? Right. And she was like, nobody else is thinking about yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sure they're at home just like, like talking about this to their families right now. What is this James Barley even about? And like, why are you in it? And mm. like, I mean, she didn't say that. She was just like, oh, I've done that before, you know? But right. like, and then, you know, she does the same exact thing. Mm. And I'm like, oh, you know? And I, <laughs> you know, she's so kind and it's like everybody says something they didn't want to say in a meeting at some point in their life. And mm -hmm. I'm sure it's not as big of a deal as you feel like it is. Right. And if yeah, I could I mean, say that to myself, I'd... We'd all be monks. <laughs> yes. I'd be a monk. I'd be rich. I'd be Oprah. What, what something. All of them together. Yeah. I mean, you'd be the Ooh. first. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're all works in progress. And uh, as you say, it, I, I almost had a fucking aneurysm when that phone rang. <laughs> yeah, I saw you. I was like, is he going to make it through? <laughs> and so, and you, you had it going for a minute there and then you're just like, nah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see how that one pans out in, mm -hmm. in post. But uh, yeah, I, I think, I think we're, uh, we're getting to a, a good stopping point. So I'll, I'll let us Great. get out of here. But before we fully depart, I just want to offer up one last question to kind of bring it all back full circle and bring it a little bit back to the healthcare landscape. Um, I'm just curious if there's anything final that you could offer that you just feel like people generally don't understand very well about healthcare and medicine that, that you have an insight into because of what you do and your experiences that if you could just kind of offer that to everyone, is there anything that comes to mind? <laughs> Um, people, everybody wants an easy fix mm. for everything. That's like, I mean, Alexa Great. does half of our household chores for us these days, right? Oh, really? And we only oh. have to talk to her. Um, but there's not an easy magical fix for illness that's coming to our bodies. And a lot of it is out of our control. And a lot of it is in our control. And 
mm-hmm. a lot of these chronic diseases and everybody wants a pill and everybody wants a surgery, something that they is acute, they take a pill, right. something easy. And it's, you have to figure out why you're in this unhealthy place, mm-hmm. you know, and the doctor is not responsible for your health. Mm-hmm. They're responsible in helping you for your health. Same for any healthcare provider, nurses, occupational therapists, I don't care. But you are responsible for your health. And all this blood work will say, this person needs to walk 20 minutes a day <laughs> and right. eat some fucking broccoli. And I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, I go through the drive-thru too sometimes, but most of the time taking responsibility for your health. And it's so easy. It's as simple as diet, exercise. And then if you're not able to do those things, why are you not able to do them? It's mental health. It's tending to your soul mm-hmm. and prioritizing yourself. And it's so uncomfortable to hit those things. But oh, yeah. if you don't, it turns into chronic illness. And that's like, I mean, it's just so sad how many lives are ruined or experiences are diminished or people suffer for a really long time and Mm -hmm. don't live at their full capacity of experiencing life because they cannot get to a place where they can prioritize their own health. Mm -hmm. And I just, we can't, we we can do insanely magical things Mm -hmm. with modern technology and healthcare, but we cannot hold your hand every day. Right. And tell you to go on a walk after work. Yeah. And it's 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 just this really harsh reality. And it's not what anyone wants to hear. Nobody wants to hear you actually have to lose the weight. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. It doesn't right. it doesn't make anybody feel good. And there's no shame. There's it's just why are you unable to live mm. your best life and your life in its fullest capacity? Mm. Your body is your vehicle for life. Bada bing. Yeah. Simple. <laughs> super, really simple. Super simple. No, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head and I'll I'll resist the urge to to open up a million doors. More <laughs> uh, chatters from, from that uh <laughs> from that uh, wonderful answer. But yeah, I think it's a I think it's a great thing to leave with the audience with and, and something worth contemplating, even even just on a personal level. So I appreciate you doing this, being here, sharing this time with me and uh Hopefully we can do it again soon. Yeah, I appreciate you. Too many more long conversations together. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll see what we can do. (laughs) All right. Thanks all for joining and uh, we'll see you next time. Over and out. (laughs) 